Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, Deep Dive, host Tim Siegel will dig deep into a variety of topics related to Pile Foundations alongside experienced members of the industry. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Tim Siegel, and it's my pleasure to be here with the introductory episode of our series, Deep Dive, Part 2. In our first uh, part, we had Kyle Rollins, and we talked about subjects such as pile testing and lateral pile behavior. Uh, We welcome Kyle once again, and now we'll look at some other parts of deep foundation behavior. Hi, Kyle. Hi, good to be with you, Tim. Hey, welcome back. Um, So we'll we'll jump right into it. Um, And I'll encourage our listeners, if they haven't listened to our part one, to go back uh, at some later time. But um, what I'd like to talk about is is blast-induced liquefaction. And I'll start by saying I remember meeting you, which was probably for the first time, in Charleston in the late 1990s. And I was working uh, as a consultant for SNME, but particularly I was working with Dan Brown on the design of the load test program for the Cooper River Bridge. Um, and you were introduced to me as well as your colleague, uh, Professor Scott Ashford, as the experts in blast-induced liquefaction. So maybe give us a little background. Uh, How did you get introduced uh, to blast-induced liquefaction? And how did that develop within your career? Yeah, that that Cooper River Bridge project was only our second um, project involving blast-induced liquefaction. So it was, was kind of the wild, wild west for us, you know exploring how to do things uh we were we'd done it once before for a series of lateral pile load tests at treasure island in san francisco bay we are trying to find a way to test piles in liquefied sand at full scale but that's harder to do than you might imagine we don't want to just instrument piles and wait for an earthquake to occur and hope everything's working so I had thought I'd read a paper that Roman Ritsu at University of Michigan wrote, and it was talking about some vibrosized trucks that liquefied the ground and caused a slope failure. I thought maybe I could do that, get some of these uh, vibrosized trucks and mount them or shake them around the piles. And I talked to Roman, and he suggested that I consider using explosives. I thought, wow, that sounds fun, but it also sounds like good luck trying to get access to sites. He said, no, I think you can do it. I think we could do it. Uh, it's practical to do it. So we uh, we uh, eventually arranged with them that the US Navy was in the process of transferring Treasure Island over to the city of San Francisco. And they, I, I had worked with the Navy um, Civil Engineering Laboratory in Port Wyneme, and I used all my influence to try and get us, it got us approval to to use that test site. And so it was kind of, it. we knew it had liquefied in a past earthquake, the Loma Prieta earthquake, and um, the Navy was willing to let us use it. So we, we started there. Um, it was sponsored by Caltrans and a number of state uh, departments of transportation. And so we gave it a whirl. Um, we hired the licensed blasters to help us. Uh, Les Yaud, um had developed poor pressure transducers that you could install in the ground and give you um, constant readout of poor pressure versus time. But the difficulty was that they, the um, correlations we could see said that blast pressures might be as high as five or six hundred six thousand psi but we wanted to measure excess pore pressures down to 0.1 psi so i would call 
I would call the manufacturers of the poor pressure transducers and tell them my requirements. And they'd start laughing. They thought it was the funniest thing that I was asking for that. Uh, and we we contacted everyone we could find, and we finally got somebody that uh, said that they they th thought they could do it. And so they supplied us with this. And we went to Treasure Island and set off just us single explosives to see if the core pressures would generate and then we set off a couple then we set off a, a ring of explosives and and it was working you know we were getting um, excess pore pressures of 100 percent so then we we did it on a on a pilot test with two rings to see if we could generate liquefaction and how long it would last and and we were able to generate uh pore pressures down to about um 15 feet and maybe in these two rings which were about um 14 foot diameter we could get um uh, maybe a 40 foot long zone of liquefact little liquefied soils and so we were in business uh so we tested uh two piles two single piles against each other a h pile and a pipe pile uh, steel pipe, and then we had a four-pile group of steel pipe piles loaded against a two-foot diameter drilled shaft, and a nine-pile group loaded against a three-foot drilled shaft. So these are like uh, three separate tests where we're doing this this work. So we we would go through the process of getting all the instrumentation in place, get all the piles ready to go, the loading system, which is two high-speed hydraulic actuators from UC San Diego at the time, and um, the pump systems, everything working, uh, all the instrumentation in place. And then we got the blasters would come out, put everything ready, ready to go, and and then it was hope everything works for the next uh, 10 or 15 minutes. So it was pretty, pretty crazy time. But surprisingly, it it came together and we got some what I think are pretty worthwhile results. Um, which uh, has now become kind of the these curves are incorporated in L pile and group. So people can use them if they'd like to. And those are the ones from uh, Treasure Island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had those from Treasure Island. We updated our procedure based on some additional tests that we did with you at, in South Carolina, and it seemed to work okay. Uh, the way we got involved in South Carolina was that SCDOT called Caltrans and said that they have this um, liquefaction potential liquefaction problem at the Cooper River Bridge site. They said, what would you do? And uh, the design engineer the, for Caltrans said, well, we use full-scale testing with blast-induced liquefaction. We, uh, we had just barely finished the test, so they gave us this, gave us a call, and we mobilized all our equipment and, and personnel to go out there and do the test with you. you that felt. was fantastic. But it was, uh, it was a pretty wild time, and you'll remember that we had the statinamic lateral load system was just being used for the first few times and applied foundation testing brought their system out. And so we had a little runway that could slide on and as it launched and we'd set off the explosives and then we would uh, now if I'm, I'm fire the statinamic. I'm convinced, Kyle, if YouTube had, was around back then, we'd all be we would all be millionaires because that particular <laughs> video went viral. I mean, I I can remember seeing it. I can remember having it on my computer, and then even years later, I remember like sitting in a conference and somebody goes, "And now I'm going to show you of a blast-induced liquefaction with you know a lateral statinamic." And it was our video. I'm like, I know that video. Hey, that's <laughs> and I was like. Anyway, it's uh, yeah, uh, that was uh, a big deal back then. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. Having all the screaming in the background, a guy counting down. I remember it was somebody had the 
three, four, uh, three, two, one, you know, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. I went uh, to a, I went to a meeting in um, Japan one time and they had, they had, uh, I think we had like eight or 16 blast holes or something like that, you know, 16 charges going off. And the Japanese had done instrumented a whole slope with different ground improvement strategies and piles and, and um, pipelines and everything. And they had hundreds of holes that they detonated. And he said, Kyle, your baby has grown up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, that's great. Oh, pretty fun to be in on that to start well, with. Well, well, I learned something now. So, um, like I said, I think Dan probably referred to you and, and Scott Ashford as the two foremost authorities on blast and Zeus liquefaction, uh, which I guess. Was that a little bit of a slight embellishment on Dan's part that it was uh, also your second uh, plastic-induced liquefaction? Yeah, we'd, we'd learn pretty fast. Uh, <laughs> I think that's how I think that's how geotechnical engineers. That's are, right. Too, that's right? right. They have to find something that's going to work, and that's and, funny. And then they become the expert there. Yeah. Well, well, well. You know, move move us to more recent work. Uh, you you and I have talked a little bit about the work you're doing in Italy and. I, I think our listeners would like to kind of get a sense of what you've been working on and some of the interesting things you found. We we did um, those two sets of tests on laterally loaded piles and pile groups and, and that allowed us to get some general equations for dealing with different diameters and uh, different densities of soil and so forth. But, the the thing that attracted our attention was the behavior of um, uh, piles and liquefied soil during down drag, right? Liquefaction induced down drag, and there were some people that were just ignoring it. Uh, this doesn't really it's not really an issue. Others that were accounting for it and needing huge increases of factor of safety or of pile lengths or diameters to make things work. And so I thought, well, we can, we know how to do this. So let's uh, see if we can test some piles and find out what happens. So we went to, uh, we went to Vancouver, British Columbia, and we had a, a test pile there. We, uh, we had a load frame and we were applying an axial load um, so we set the explosive charges off and we uh, had loaded the pile up to one half of its load uh, capacity based on Davison criteria. And as soon as the load went off, we were trying to, you know, like we were talking about in the last uh, episode of this, we were trying to keep the load constant. So immediately the there was enough settlement that we lost about 40 kips of load on the pile. And we turned on the jacks. It took us 17 seconds to get the, get the load reapplied. And since we were reapplying the load, it produced positive skin friction at the top of the pile going down to, and it was, as you looked at the load versus depth, it was the same depth that would require you to get to uh, the skin friction was 40 kips. So we reloaded the top part and then we continued to keep it reloaded. And so we got this strange looking curve that showed positive friction at the top and then going downward and then negative skin friction in the liquefied soil after it had reconsolidated. Interesting. So our, our big uh, concern was that that looks like such a strange thing. We think we could explain what was going on, that we're reloading. But we um, had a chance in New Zealand to where we could put a static load on top of it. It was, um, we could put a 300 kip load on, or 300 ton load on top of three, um, uh, 
two foot diameter auger cast piles. So we had a frame that would hold this in place. And you can, since we didn't want to have to reload it, we wanted to have a static dead weight load. So we had right, not a jack. This is not a jack. A dead weight. Just a dead weight. So we've got a dead weight on top of there. And it was chained up and sitting on this frame. Uh, the piles were at different diameters or different depths. So one was supposed to terminate in the liquefied soil and two would go through it. So I got I got quite worried that the whole thing might just tip over. Uh, I'd, I'd moved all the, I'd moved as much weight as I could to the piles on the side where it would, where it went through the liquefied zone. Um, and I got to the test site on Monday morning and uh, a prominent engineer was telling people that, and they told me, this whole thing is going to tip over, Kyle, as soon as those explosives go off. Um, so I don't know what you want to do, but you better do something. And I couldn't think of anything else to do. So I'd done as good as I could, and it was pretty much an indeterminate thing. So we just left it. Everyone said, hey, we can get cranes out here. We can change this. We can take things off. And, um, but we just left it. The explosives went off. It stayed up little bit of tilt but it, it stayed together and then in in this case we saw the typical thing you'd expect the the load started at the top and we got negative friction in the non-liquefied layer above the liquefied zone and as uh, immediately after the blast we have almost a vertical uh, load versus depth curve saying that there's no resistance in the liquefied soil and then shortly after that, as the pile, as the sand in the liquefied zone reconsolidated, the pore pressure went down, the soil settled, uh, the effective stress increased, and the shear stress on the soil in the liquefied zone started to create a negative or downward friction, even in the liquefied soil. Mm -hmm. And people weren't really considering that as a possibility at the time, but that's what we saw in the measurements. And then the we had to increase the load that caused increased load at the bottom of the pile, which caused it some additional settlement. Um, so that was uh, when we went back to calculate what the skin friction was in the liquefied layer after reconsolidation. Uh, the negative friction was about 50% of the positive skin friction that we had before liquefaction. Okay, so that's not a lot, uh, not a lot of uh, load tests to base a, a design approach on. We had some some data at uh, in Vancouver and some at uh, in New Zealand. But uh, over time, we've we've gotten some more opportunities to do the testing, and um, I think we're up to around um, sixteen to twenty test piles now, where we're seeing this similar kind of behavior, hmm. uh, where we see a negative friction or downward friction uh, after the pile uh, after the soil liquefies and then starts um, moving downward relative to the soil. A relative to the pile of about fifty percent. I remember. I remember seeing a presentation from you. It's a few years ago. You, you, I, you know, maybe I mean, I'm sure you've thought about this, but did you still see some elevated pore water pressure in that sand zone, or do you think it was back to hydrostatic? Um, uh, it's gone basically back down to hydrostatic uh, pressures at the end of the. Uh, reconsolidation process. I think we okay. ran things out to where we were maybe about ten percent or less. Do you, do you think? Um, do you think that are these all driven piles or some of them drilled? Is there a chance that you kind of loosened the sand right up against the the pile? 
I'm just I'm just thinking out loud. I don't there's know. there's a possibility for sure. Yeah, there's possibility. 50, right at 50 percent seems like is it always dense sand or is it even loose sand that gets cut by 50 percent? It's it's variable. So there's different uh, densities and fines contents. Um, we've tested uh, a driven steel pipe pile. We've tested um, auger cast piles. We've tested drilled shafts with um, Rick Kaufman out in, uh, on the Mississippi uh, and different types of um, precast concrete piles, driven uh, steel pipe, H piles. Uh, and that's not always, it's like you would expect, it's geotechnical problem. It's not 50%. It's ranges from somewhere between 40 and 60%, but 50 is a good average value for what we're seeing. Uh, it's a complicated problem because you're, you've got sand that's liquefied, so its structure has been messed right. up. Uh, and then it's reconsolidating, turning from a fluid back into a solid again. Right. And the pore pressures are going from 100% to, or close to, Whatever. Uh, back yeah. to zero. And then there's settlement of the pile relative to the surrounding soil. So you got a you got it a lot going possible. on there. So you're going to expect some variability. But it, certainly, you think there's some insulation effects and maybe some movement. I don't know. Is there something that occurs on onto the interface between the pile and the sand when you get this large movement that you can't recapture? You know what I mean? Is it a you know, like a like almost like a strain softening or strain weakening kind. I don't know. That's I'm just and is it yeah. is that where the movement occurs? You know, I I guess I and I don't remember where I learned this and maybe I didn't learn it correctly, but you know that some folks argue that the failure plane isn't against the pile against the soil, but it's somewhere in the soil. I don't know. So I don't know. Does it redirect the failure plane? I don't know. Yeah. Um, all, all, these are, all these are possibilities, right? And yeah. uh, the, the one thing uh, we haven't done very well is, is um, we haven't, it would be really nice to be able to have had that pile sit there in New Zealand where we had a dead weight on it and to have that stay in place for a month or two yeah where we could see if uh, if a static neutral plane would develop right but uh we've not had that luxury uh even um we've we've gone to italy most recently because um you have to find a place where you can do a test where you have soil that's going to liquefy and where people will allow you to do it that aren't afraid that you're going to cause some damage to adjacent structures or annoying you're not going to annoy neighbors and things like this so we've we've gone to a sites near bologna italy they're just out on a farmer's field and in the earthquake in 2012 the soil liquefied so we know it's liquefiable material um the municipality is willing to work with us um um, we've done it a few times, so they they trust us that we're not going to cause a problem. So that's that's why we're going there. Well, that's a nice place to go on. Yeah, they're really roughing it. Yeah, but, of course, uh, it's probably a better flight than uh, New Zealand. Yeah, a lot shorter, and you can yeah. take some equipment with you. We uh, the biggest problem is getting approval to do a site. We uh, one time we had uh, some tests, blast-induced liquefaction tests we were going to do in Maui, and we were flying into uh, we were flying into Maui. We landed. I got a phone call on my cell phone. Said, "Ah, uh, bad news. We've talked to our lawyers, and they they don't think we can allow you to do this test. <laughs> this is this is the fight you get in with um, yeah, blasting." Eventually, we worked it out, but it's it's always hard. So, if someone will let us do it in in these sites in Italy, we're 
we're all in. So the, yeah. the most recent thing we've been doing in Italy is looking at um, groups of piles in liquefied sand. So we've we've uh, we had a contractor, Geofondazioni is the name of the company, and they they build tapered piles. I don't know how common that is in the United States. Have you worked on projects with tapered piles at all, Tim? You know, Kyle, the only experience is that those this, uh, I mean, I always heard of Raymond's step tapered piles as a foundation, yeah. but I've never worked on one. And then, you know, certainly there was an ASC magazine that, uh, you know, pretty common ad that showed these tapered piles, but I don't yeah. think they're widely, I mean, they may be regional. I've yeah. not worked on one. Yeah, so the the idea of the tapered piles is that they can get they get higher side friction because you're not just straight friction, you have a little bit of a passive component on the side as well. <clears throat> and um, so they were willing to put in about 25 piles for us. And we we had a group of um, um, 13 piles. So we could look at five rows on a diagonal. And then we also had single piles on, we had four single piles we could uh, test. So one of the single piles we could put a, a, a with the jack, we could apply a load to it. The other two, there was no load on top of them. And then the group of piles had no um, applied load at the head. They were just um, in a group and there was no pile cap. So ideally we'd like to have a pile cap with a load on top of it, but we can take what we can get in this case. So we um, used our explosives, um, got a contract licensed uh, blaster. We um, loaded the one single pile and then set off the explosives. Uh, but again, we got liquefied soil in a zone from about five meters to 13 meters. So That's what, a lot. Yeah. And then it went, they went down into a, a non-liquefied layer below it. Okay. So in this time, we didn't apply, we didn't try to keep the load constant at the pile head. I just told them, let it do whatever it's going to do. It will come to equilibrium. And as, um, as soon as the blast went off, uh, immediately, almost immediately within, you know, a few seconds, we had almost a vertical load versus deflection or load versus depth curve in the liquefied soil, indicating we have very little side friction as the soil liquefied. Okay. Uh, we did have, uh, okay, then, then uh, as time goes on and the soil starts to dissipate, the um, liquefied soil starts to settle as pore pressures go away, effective stress increases, negative um, or downward skin friction develops in the non-liquefied soil above the liquefied layer. And it uh, also develops negative friction in the liquefied zone. That increases the load that has to get transferred to the non-liquefied soil at the base. Probably better if we had a Little diagram to try and explain this, but no, no, uh, keep going. And that, that, uh, then we have positive skin friction uh, below the liquefied layer in the non liquefied soil and an increase in um, toe, res toe resistance at the base. So we had a, uh, even though these were um, vibrating wire devices, we had a, a monitoring system that could record. Uh, about as fast as you could uh, pick it and get a, a reasonable value off of it. Um, 
So we, we have a, a pretty good record of what's going on, and it, it shows that this is pretty consistent. Um, and it, it came to equilibrium. Um, we didn't have, we had negative friction all the way from the top down to the neutral plane and positive friction from the bottom, from the neutral plane on down. And the load, um, since we had a static load test performed, we had a pretty good idea of the QZ curve of the toe of the pile, the end bearing or the toe resistance versus toe displacement. And it matches up pretty nicely with um, the load that's now transferred to the um, toe of the pile and the settlement that we had in the pile. Um, so things are seem to fit together pretty well. Uh, the load versus the load versus depth curves for this um, single pile, if you subtract off the axial load part uh, at the top, um, matches what we have from the other two that are um, didn't have any load on top of them. Same kind of behavior, but of course, of course, there are variations, but they're mm -hmm. they're not too strange. Um, it's a geotechnical problem, different variations in soil and so forth, and poor pressures probably, but it gives us pretty good consistency and to to think we're we're on track with what's going on. Uh, we came back um, after one day after the blast and did a static load test on a, a pile that had not been loaded previously, and we only got uh, about. Um, 50% of the ultimate capacity that we had originally from the test. So one day after the event, the, the pore pressures, even though they had dissipated to zero, the soil structure hadn't regrouped enough, reestablished itself to where we redeveloped the full side resistance. We came back uh, two months later and did the test again and on another pile. And we're we're seeing we're getting closer, but even after two months, we still haven't redeveloped the full side friction in the soil that liquefied uh, to get back to where it was uh, originally for positive skin friction. You know, um, that was one thing that I I didn't mention in our our previous part one, and that is when we talk about pile resistance. Um, you know, we talk about setup and driven piles, but whether pile time and also whether that pile's been loaded previously, I think you have to say, say, include those things to when you're really talking about capacity. And I, you, you make a good point. This isn't really even setup. It's basically the inverse of setup. The soil, the pile has been there. It's just the soil around it's been changed. You said you tested it after you induced liquefaction, got 50% the capacity, and then you locate it again and you're getting closer. Yeah. I, I'm going to assume that it's fair to say that every time you load tested it, you got rid of the negative skin friction, that all of the side resistance was positive. Correct? Yeah. Good point. I should have... Uh mentioned that yeah so now we're loading from the top down and now we have only positive friction but the the skin friction in the liquefied layer reversed again it, yeah now it's going um up it's resisting it the downward movement so part of that could be due to that uh behavior mm -hmm. um but but um it makes you a little nervous that you may not get that capacity back again for. No, I think that's. I think some period not, of time. I mean, that could very. I think that's very meaningful, um, especially, yeah. It, it, if the consideration is for structures that are want to be post earthquake proof, basically, you know, and that's one of those gray areas in our industry. Uh, we design for a very, you know, rare earthquake, but most times we say 
all we want is life safety people to get out of there yeah and then the question is people are like well what happens afterwards can they move back in and then it becomes i mean other than things like hospitals or possibly schools but um but now or, or fire stations or something you know some critical structure but uh those are good questions for our society to have the two aspects that i had alluded to one was you had mentioned looking at the ground surface profile in the groups and the other that you had uh, alluded to was the fact that you may not have gotten let's say complete liquefaction with a r sub u of 1.0 in the center of that group you could you elaborate on those two? The first one is the ground surface. Yeah, let, let me talk about the behavior of the group overall. So we the the single piles are isolated and there's liquefied soil around them. Within the group, we have like um again 13 piles, and they're spaced at about um 3.2 diameters on center roughly in our typical blast induced liquefaction um, program we have a ring of explosive charges so something some diameter of about 30 feet and and all the explosives create a, a big dish with the greatest settlement in the middle Normally, that's the normal situation, right? And all the tests we've done. So our group of piles was in the center of this um, ring of explosives. And instead of seeing that, in the center of the ray where the group was, we saw the least amount of settlement taking place there. Okay? So we had sensor pore pressure transducers inside the uh, group of piles spaced inside halfway between adjacent piles and we saw the pore pressures build up so it had essentially liquefied in those zones greater than 80 percent or more but the ground or inside the group uh, hardly settled at all it was um like um i don't know point two to 0.3 inches or something like that. Very small amount of settlement. Uh, it, it's like the piles are holding up that block of soil uh, from settling downward. Um, and we've measured, we measured the load in each of these, these piles in the group and the, the load distribution in the pile in the center shows very little um, negative friction until you get towards the very bottom and then it develops some load. But if if we take that, um, if we take the load that's being transferred to, from each of the piles into the surrounding soil, or, or let's say, let's say this, if you look at the load in the pile versus depth, and then take that load as a free body and apply it to the surrounding soil, you'll find that you have enough um, friction acting on that block of soil to hold it up and prevent it from settling downward. And that's exactly what, what happened. So the, wow. so the pile is, the group is acting more like a, um, a reinforced volume, maybe. Sure. Uh, in sure. some respects, the piles, um, the piles settled less than the surrounding uh, ground because they go down into a deeper stratum. I I think this behavior of the groups is is something that we need to understand a little better. Uh, we were kind of operating on the good graces of the. Uh, pile foundation contractor and but we need to look at this a little more closely in the future to see um, um, how to explain that but it it looks like that's the we think that's the mechanism that's explaining what's happening no that 
I mean, you, does it that kind of make sense. sense. It, it does make sense. Um, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> it's just we we kind of we bring into our how we try to analyze things into our our preconceived notions, right? That uh, that, but if but I mean, it, it makes sense that if settling soils impose uh, a downward force on piles yes those piles must be resulting a equal and opposite positive or upward force on those soils yeah and if there's enough enough of those piles it will resist that block of soil from moving yeah and and probably when you only had one pile there was slip along the pile soil interface because it just punched through it like a pin cushion. Mm -hmm. Then when you had a bunch of them, they could handle it without slip slipping. Does that make that's, sense to you? That's how I'm taking it, just Me like too. that. But it's it's that's the reason you do test is because you expect to see something maybe you don't quite understand. And this is what we've seen in this case. It's different than what we would have guessed oh. if we just applied that same negative friction that we see from the single pile to every pile in this group we would have not got anywhere close to what really happened in in the physical test nope i i mean these are the kind of things that where people really if they dig into it and they start i mean that builds their confidence they start seeing it and after you see something behave a certain like we just mentioned uh, in our previous uh, part one of this, we talk about lateral behavior. And once you see, for example, a lateral load test way outperform what you might predict with L-Pile. Yeah. Once you run a load test of a group of piles and you see that the ground surface moves uh, a lot less than you would expect based on probably a free, let's just say at a free field liquefaction induced condition right yeah you begin to say oh okay there is some soil structure interaction here that or soil foundation interaction that, that i could capture or at least i know my free field is conservative yes all right um let's go to our last uh segment um kyle and we would be uh we wouldn't really cover all the subjects I want to unless we included just overall the concept of drag load. Yeah. Uh, I know that's something that you have looked at uh, for many years. Uh, you and I both are friends with Beck Fellinius, who has, has done a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. But, but the real reality of it is there's still not a consensus. Right. I've even looked at modern papers and I find that they're they're not even really they're failing to even acknowledge uh really Banks some of Banks work. I mean is that would you say I'm am I crazy am I washed up or do you think I'm I'm onto something here? No, I agree cuz um um I think the the fundamental concepts he's talking about work, right? And it's it's a I guess it's the the stages of acceptance of something. The first that can't be wrong, and then the second is well, maybe it's right, and the third is uh, so obvious that it's right. You, how could anyone say it's not right? You know, and we're somewhere in the middle there, where where people are starting to acknowledge it and see that it works. The thing that uh, turned the key for the Utah Department of Transportation is is that they saw two different design build projects built uh, designed entirely differently. One was the Salt Lake uh, I-15 project uh, through Salt Lake Valley. And it was um, designed in preparation for the Olympics. Uh, one of the first big design build projects, 1.2 billion in, in Salt Lake with 144 pile supported structures. And it was designed uh, under the concept that the, you're going to take the static load on the piles, add the negative friction, and that had to have a value 
that your pile had to be long enough so that you would have a factor of safety of one and a half or two uh, to get the to have, be an acceptable pile. So as a result, we got longer piles and a more expensive project. Okay, so that's performed fine. You might expect. Then the next project, the next design project was just north. And uh, we had some presentations by Banked and others that were talking about his approach. And so for the next projects, and basically the same kind of compressible soft clays over a sand layer, uh, they used Banks' approach, which doesn't, you're not getting a factor of safety of one and a half, 1 .5, it's like right, equilibrium, right? right? You're basically right. under equilibrium. And they're worried about whether the settlement is going to be acceptable if the drag loads develop and whether you have enough uh, tow resistance to prevent uh, settlement from being excessive and whether you have enough structural capacity in the piles. Uh, so those were the issues. So they designed the road, uh, this highway, with that approach and just drove the piles and, and built. They didn't wait for it to settle before driving piles or anything. And so that speed the, the construction process, process up considerably as well. Guess what? No problems on that section of the interstate as well, right? So right. we have a, a whole set of case histories that show that the, the bank's approach, this neutral plane concept of done properly leads to safe pile design, even though you don't have a factor of safety of two. Below the neutral plane. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I will give a shout out to my friends at, at Minnesota DOT. They've done a lot of work with it. And I know that, uh, you know, um, they have, you know, they undertook, I don't know, it's probably been over 10 years now they undertook a effort to try to get a grasp on the design using drag load. And I think part of it was that they were getting just wildly different and I, and mm -hmm. I'm making it sound negative, but let's just say they got substantially different approaches, some that made significant dollar amount differences yeah. between different design approaches. And they were very, very keenly said, well, we need to get a handle on it. And they have done that. And I believe they have uh, been very successful in applying Banks' concept of the unified design approach. Um and there's a lot of folks that are involved and they all deserve credit. I'll also throw, put a shout out to the Washington DOT. And I, I think you've probably seen that where they did a, a rather extensive study of, of, I think they did, did they do blast induced liquefaction? I think with some drilled shafts. Oh. Um, and they looked at that. And again, uh, uh, they came up, walked away with the same thing that embracing banks um unified design approach and so and i mean now i guess so um those are the those are the good things the the the, the bad things i will tell you and i'm i'm not going to mention names and this is also okay. a few years ago yeah that um i was pulled aside and a group said we have been performing ground improvement to avoid drag load it's like Say what? Yeah, we're 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 going in and doing ground improvement around these piles so we don't get drag load. It's like, and they were then finally after talking to them for maybe you know over a period of a couple of weeks, they're like, so you're telling us that we did all this ground improvement, but we didn't need to. I'm like, I'm not telling you that, but you know, um, because I don't want to disappoint you, but I think you need to think about what the mechanics are and realize that, you know, if you do get drag load, it does affect it's the piles uh, compression, but a lot of piles are way over designed for structural. Yeah. So you may be able to tolerate that and uh, huh, okay, you know, and um, 
you know, a lot of these, you know, we're, we're on a very firm stratum and settlement really isn't an issue. And so anyway, um, fortunately, uh, you know, but it's a learning process, right? Um, yeah, but I still see, but I still, in fact, just recently I saw a paper, it was on drag load. I picked it up and I read it and they made one reference to Banks' work. And it was, it was as like his 1972 paper. And I'm like, what? How is that possible? Yeah. Um, yeah it's frustrating. And then the other part of it that, that, um, Maybe we could discuss a little bit of is um, the Ashto guidance on um, using load factors and 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 interpreting the neutral plane if you want to to do that right um, makes it a little complicated to try and decide load and resistance factors complicate the process so that you don't know exactly where you are in comparison to working load analysis with where you try and figure out the settlement of the pile with that approach. Well, that, that, and that, I guess that's even a bigger question. And yeah. Kyle, and I think, I think that, that Ashto, like a lot of folks that are, remember we talked about people going from settlement to coming up with a factor safety of two in our last episode. Yes. In our last part, I should say, part one of two, we said, we think the industry, or at least I thought the industry had moved from saying, ah, we're worried about settlement, we'll put piles beneath and they'll reduce settlement, to where it was just like black and white, factor safety of two. And then they said, well, now we've got drag load. How do we incorporate drag load in a factor safety of two? In your opinion, is there any way to incorporate drag load in a factor safety? from a geotechnical standpoint. I mean, if I just told you, okay, well, we'll increase the factor safety to 2.5, is that gonna, does that mean anything from a drag load standpoint or is it 1.5? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think it has any great meaning, but uh, it, it seems like people want, I think uh, the, the approach that, We've been discussing the unified design approach. What gives you a, is going to give you a settlement, and then you're going to have to decide is that an acceptable settlement, right? So we have to look at that. And your conservatism probably needs to be associated with that settlement and possible variations in the QZ curve at the toe of the pile that might affect that. But trying to trying to use load and resistance factors. I know we all want to feel like we've got some safety factor associated with everything, but I, I think it makes it so you don't know what you're, you don't know what you're analyzing and you don't know what your objective is. Um, well, well, you said it best, modeled. you said it best. In, in Italy, you had a, a pile and through blast-induced liquefaction, you induced negative skin friction. It existed. When you yeah. performed a top-down test, that's, that negative skin friction reversed and became positive resistance. It, it, there is really no rational way for you to say that uh, consider negative skin friction in a geotechnical limit state calculation yeah it's just it's just nonsensical and i mean i know people can say well you know it's conservative and this and that but it's it's probably more than that i mean it's you you you're it if it makes the piles longer it's not conservative it's probably just possibly it's just spending money that you know in a that we don't need to spend and and uh if you really do need to do something maybe it's not the pile needs to be longer maybe it needs to be stronger yeah or we need to beef up the end of the the resistance at the end of the pile maybe exactly yeah um so 
So, so they could use their ground improvement underneath the. So how do we change things, Kyle? How do we, how do uh, those of us and I, I, I would call us the, the somewhat silent minority, at least for now. Um, how do we convince our industry that that banks' principles of unified design are really meaningful? And that's it, it, it's not they're not intuitive. It's not like something you're going to sit down and read once and go, oh, yeah, you know, it's the engine sheer strength is half the uh, unconfined strength. It's not like that. It's <laughs> kind of like it's kind of like more like, uh, you know, it's kind of like you just let it seep into you. You got it's like getting a sunburn. You got to be exposed to it for, uh, you know, a few hours and then you start, you know, kind of understanding what he's got to say. But how, yeah. how do, where do we go with it? Um, I think there's several directions. Um, the academics, we have our role to play to try and teach the concepts and show the examples so that it's understandable. I think it's one of the more difficult concepts um, conceptually to get in your head in geotechnical engineering, right? Um, so you've got a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of moving parts. Together. Not intuitive at all. Um, and then I think uh, um, academics um, publishing papers is useful, but I don't think that's going to um, seal the deal. Bank's been doing that very capably for years. But we get more and more of us seeing that, that these same kind of results and publishing mm -hmm. those. I think that'll help. Uh, but I think we we need to have um, the case histories from the practitioners and like uh, Utah DOT and um, MnDOT saying, okay, we designed this with this approach and uh, some some of the basic design that they did and that it's performing like it was expected to. This is not with liquefaction, but this is just with you know consolidation issues so that people can say yeah hey it worked so we if if it worked we we've and they didn't have to make it a factor of safety of two it something's happening there maybe people catch on with with the case histories that could and this might be uh you know dfi has been very good um getting case histories out there and this might be uh a good theme for some of the upcoming uh, news articles and, and journals and so forth to I, see what we can do to show that this is what's happening. This has been our experience from full scale design. You know, I'll give kudos to folks like the PDCA and DFI. Um, you know, Oftentimes we don't think of them as highbrow as as ASE, but you know those groups have been, I think, uh, at the front of the curve on embracing banked, uh, showing, uh, giving him uh, a platform to share his wealth of information. Um, you know, and uh, probably the next thing is, I mean. Uh, is for the next generation to kind of pick up that torch. Uh, I I still find it a little bit disheartening that so few people are aware of just the mechanics of it. Um, again, I, I but you give me hope. I mean, Kyle, you and uh, I think uh, Rick Kaufman. You, you know, I know his thoughts on it are very much aligned with ours. Now I got and, and I know also even uh, you know Harry Poulos, who I. I don't know real well, but I know well enough. I've had a few discussions with him, and oh, I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll share with you a uh, a a, a, a little a, a little conversation I had with him years ago, and we're talking about drag load. And I said, I said, um, Harry, do you, do you agree with Banked or do you disagree with Banked? And he goes, Oh, I I agree with Banked. And I said, Really? I said, well, I said, Okay, so answer me this, Harry. I shouldn't have said that, but I did. I said, <laughs> Harry, you wrote 
uh, elastic solutions for what piles, uh, elastic solutions for soil and rock or, yeah. and I said, or, and I said, and in there you have pile settlement in elastic medium. I said, uh, where's the down drag? I said, how, how, how is that ever consistent with banks? And he looks at me and he goes, well, you got to pick the right modulus. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't ask i shouldn't have uh of uh but i said touche harry that was well done you you, you answered that was a good answer but um no um I, I i'm hoping that uh everybody will embrace it but it it, it seems like it's only one by one yeah, if it can get into some into the code documents, I think that's where we will finally make some changes because people have to do it then, right? But right. And I I've heard, that, I have heard that uh, Ash, the next Ashto will have some revisions, but um, we'll see. So tell me what I'll I'll end with this. What what is your next what is your next big uh, test program? Give us a give us a forecast of what you're planning to do. Um, well, the the thing we've been working on um, most recently it's not necessarily with um, uh, piles, but it's uh, uh, looking at lightweight cellular concrete. Um, we think it's seeing a lot of usage around the world and. For different kinds of projects and we're investigating its behavior with um, MSE walls and it's fun to work on a new material that um, in the so in the so the it's not soil the cement structure interaction because it's weighs 30 pounds per cubic foot and it has a strength of maybe 60 to 100 psi so it's in that no man's land between soil and um, structure or soil and concrete. So that's where we're working to, to try and learn how to design this kind of system. We're, we're still doing some work with um, piles. We need to uh, learn a little bit more about pile groups. It takes some resources to do that. And so we'll see what we can do. But um we're, we just uh, have enough information to, to start to formulate a better design uh, we've talked before how um we're always trying to do the test where there's no problems that everything is that's just, it that's it. exactly test. what we want the perfect test yeah it's like uh the elusive like, uh, yeah like uh hitting a hole in one oh and it like, always uh, it's like uh yeah it's like trying to hold grains hold grains of sand there's just you 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 got you, you figure this out and then something else slips by yeah uh no i you know you it was funny that you mentioned and i, I thought i'd just in closing you had mentioned uh um even trying to make sure your calibration of your load cell uh and you and and your and your readout makes sense. And years ago, I was on a test. This was probably over 15 years ago. We yeah. were on a test. Uh, we loaded a pile up. It was supposed to fail at like, I don't know, 250 kips or something. It wasn't very healthy. We loaded it the first load level. We went up to the very max level because somebody had put the wrong um, uh, calibration into the into the uh, <laughs> uh, load cell readout. And yeah. so it was like, and I knew something was wrong in my brain, but I'm sitting there looking, it's like supposed to be like, it's like, you know, five, seven kips, 10 kips. And instead it was like 85 kips, 90 kips. I'm like, and then before, you know, and then, I'm nothing, course, there's no settlement. Oh uh, yeah. And of course it screwed up all our strain gauges. Uh, it was just a disaster. But uh, the elusive test, the elusive yeah. test. All right, uh, Kyle, uh, thanks again. I hope that uh, I enjoyed this. I, I hope you did. And I hope our listeners, they 
this is a great chance for them to sit in my shoes and pick your brain. Yeah, it's been fun to talk with you, Tim. It's always uh, enlightening. And thanks for doing this. Uh, it's a huge service, a big service to our profession and to DFI and all geotechnical engineers. All right. Well, that concludes uh, our uh, first episode of, of Deep Dive. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Bye. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification, or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Thank you for your time. Keep on surviving.